Hey, drama listeners. If you've been following the pod for a while, then you know that Spring Awakening is one of our all-time favorite shows. I mean, can you say Ring of Keys moment? Anyways, today we are bringing you an extremely special episode because the one and only Johnny Gallagher Jr., star of the original Broadway cast of Spring Awakening, joined us for a chat that is a gag. Now, if you're loving the podcast, please consider supporting our Patreon for $5 a month to get bonus episodes, IG Close Friends content, and more. The link is in the notes below. And if you want more Spring Awakening content, we have been delivering it since our very first episode with Krista Rodriguez. We've also chatted with Matt Doyle, Lily Cooper, Ben Moss, Anthony Lee Medina, Ali Stroker, Andy Mientis, so many people from the Spring Awakening universe. So you have to check through our feed to see everything else. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did recording it. Now on to the show. Press play, curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star, star will we, we talk, talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, can you believe I was in New York with you, but a mere 12 hours ago? It feels like it was- 24 hours ago? Forever ago since I last saw you. I know, wait, you were like 12 hours ago. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. But no, yeah. it was- I feel like I've lived half a lifetime since I last saw you. It was- it, I know. It's so weird that we don't live near each other anymore. I know. But you know what? We had the most fun week ever. Like, it was truly such a good time. And I I know we recorded some episodes while I was in town, but I want to talk about something that we hadn't really touched on on any of the recordings. And that was that we got to see the final preview of A Strange Loop while in the city. Oh, my God. Life-changing art. You know, it's like sitting in that theater, I thought to myself, this feels like one of those zeitgeist moments that like might change the form or, you know, you, you're going to say, oh, I saw it at Playwrights before I saw it on Broadway. You know how people like to say, like, I saw Hamilton of the Public or I saw Spring Awakening of the Atlantic. You never right, know. Like, right, right, right. You know, people- one of those. <laughs> I agree. And you know what? A rare Broadway transfer that I think works better on Broadway. Yeah, well, sometimes, well, you mean with like an intimate show going to a bigger house. That's what I mean. Thank you for, for expounding on that. But it's like the, the cast chemistry just feels tighter. They feel like they've lived with the material more. There's a new lead and he's great. And I will, the sound was a little weird, but maybe it's because we were in rush seats, but yeah, it was really amazing. And I think it is one of those pieces of theater that if you're able to see it a second time, it really is better. Mm-hmm. You're you're able to live with it more. And yeah, it was yeah. it's fantastic. It's my I think my favorite musical of the of the year, of the season. Well, you know, it's gonna be hard to top Diana for me. You know, I'm a Diana. I know you are, Dylan. Oh. I know, I know. Anyways, but... I do think this one is gonna be remembered <laughs> come Tony nominations a week from today. Well, you know, a couple of days after this uh recording, but I think there's going to be a lot. They're going to be a happy, happy, a happy house. This has been the craziest spring ever between the like 15 Broadway openings, all the different award ceremonies. And of course, you know, the, the premiere of this spring awakening documentary, those you've known, 
I feel like there has never been a more exciting time to be an artist who has an, even an interest in Broadway, you know? Yeah, there's something for everyone. But yeah, actually, it was the night that we were at A Strange Loop. We were oddly left off the invite list for the, the Those You've <laughs> Known documentary premiere. But it's okay. No love lost. And we we have one of the stars with us today. And Connor at 15, 14, you know, everyone has their story about this show. But it, it's, it's very much that for our generation. And I never could have imagined we'd meet this person, let alone have them on our, our our little podcast i know i'm gagged i feel like we're saying that a lot lately but it's true especially for this one because i think i listened to the the broadway cast recording of spring awakening 700,000 times mm-hmm. in 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 fresh freshman year of high school alone i mean it yeah. really went through it our mother is so tired of she can recite the entire dialogue in don't do sadness blue wind just from hearing us playing it in the car from going back and yeah. forth to marching band practice yeah even still she she has the fanny gabor monologue down and then there were none i think Who it's doesn't? time to bring in this guest I know. Please do, Dylan. All right. Our guest today is the 2007 Tony Award-winning Best Featured Actor in a Musical, perhaps best known and beloved for his portrayal of the compelling and complex Moritz Stiefel in the original Broadway cast of Spring Awakening. Other appearances on the Broadway stage include Jerusalem with Mark Rylance, Long Day's Journey into Night with Jessica Lange, Rabbit Hall with Cynthia Nixon, and of course, American Idiot the Musical as Johnny. He most recently wrapped his latest theatrical production, the Avid Brothers musical Swept Away with Deep Friend of the Pod, Stark Sands. The tip of the iceberg of his television and film credits include The Newsroom, Olive Kittredge, Westworld, The West Wing, 10 Cloverfield Lane, The Belko Experiment, which was crazy, um, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, Hush as the Man, Modern Love, Peppermint, Short Term 12, and so much more. His solo album, Six Day Hurricane, is available where fine music is found. And of course, you can hear him on the original cast albums for Spring Awakening, an American Idiot. The aforementioned documentary film Spring Awakening, Those You've Known, is available at the time of this episode's release on HBO Max, reuniting our heroes, the original Broadway cast of the eight-time Tony Award-winning musical. Truly, heaven must feel like this. Please welcome to drama, Johnny Johnny Gallagher Gallagher Jr. Jr. Oh my God, thank you for that stellar introduction. I don't think I've ever been teed up so uh, gracefully in my life. Oh my goodness. Well, now you're going to hit it out of the park, right? Is it tee up a, a baseball or a golf? <laughs> I don't know. It can only, it's only downhill from here. I don't know. Uh, tee up. Let's see. I guess that's a, it could be a softball reference yeah. or it could be golfing. I don't know. Uh, it, it was my aversion to sports that led me into the theater in the first place. So, uh, and here we are. And here I am referencing, uh, referencing it. Like I actually, you know, get, get the reference. Johnny, it's, it's so amazingly, iconic to have you on the pod i have to say this is a dream come true oh my gosh i'm completely flattered it's my pleasure to be here Uh, i can already tell we're gonna have a great time chatting yes well listen we like to ask all of our guests this question you know in the state of our world are you well um i would say i'm i'm you know i fluctuate you know, I, I've always been a been kind of in flux. You know, sure. I feel like maybe it's the Gemini in me that oh. I, 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 you know, I kind of vacillate wildly. I, you know, w- within reason, of course, the mood swings aren't too extreme. But uh-huh. yeah, day to day, I kind of, you know, put my shoes on and kind of try to see which way the wind is blowing and go, gosh, how am I feeling today? And uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of years, uh, yeah. I think, uh, as we all well know. Anybody that skews slightly depressive or anxious, I think, 
you know, uh, uh, reasonably so has been having a, a tough time with the strange way of the world with the pandemic and with the kind of ever changing and horrifying, um, you know, political landscape that we're bearing witness to every day. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process. And then when you add in any personal strife underneath there, it's a, you know, you can have a pretty full plate, pretty easy these days if you're uh, sensitive, you know, which, yeah. uh, which I cer- which I certainly am. So I'm well and I'm unwell. I would, I would say I'm, I'm right, I'm right there in the middle. Yeah. Mm. If, if there's a slash, I live, you know, between well and unwell, you know, I kind of feel like I live in the gray space a bit. I am right there with you. You're a Gemini artist. This is, it really doesn't get more, <laughs> you know, juicy and emotional than it does to be an artist who's also a Gemini. You identify as two of the mo- more chaotic species we have. Yeah, most definitely. I, I definitely feel <laughs> that in my work. Yeah. You know, I've never really thought of it uh, that way, but particularly when it comes to, you know, a, a role like Moritz or honestly, the roles that Michael Mayer has gifted me through the years on stage are some of the most, you know, complicated and complex fellows that I've ever uh, been able to take a swing at. And I, I really feel like those are the Gemini roles. Like they're complicated and they're kind of hypocrites and they're kind of constantly kind of going back on what they said or what they did. And there's weird kind of lack of continuity sometimes in the decisions that they make. And uh, I think that's why I love playing those roles so much. Would you say the same applies to your character in Swept Away? Because I know that's your most recent Michael Mayer collaboration. Yeah, I just finished doing the Swept Away, which you mentioned with a book by the legendary John Logan and songs by the fantastic band, the Avid Brothers and uh, featuring Starks Sands, Adrian Ensko and Wayne Duvall. It's definitely the most prickly, you know, character I've certainly ever played. He's a kind of a con man and an opportunist and uh, kind of a kind of classic lost soul. Uh, He's the first, he's the second mate on a whaling ship in the late 1800s. And he's kind of a man who's fallen from grace and is taking odd jobs wherever he can just to kind of keep on the run in his life because he's done a lot of bad things and uh it was a i mean for as dark as that role was it was an absolute joy to you know be able to sink my teeth into a really heavy character for the first time in quite some time because i haven't been on stage in about six years so it was really a dream especially with uh you know with all that we've been through and the ups and downs of the theater the last couple years of opening up and closing and then opening up and closing and we all got covid while we were doing the show out in berkeley and so we shut down for two weeks so I know every time I see a press release about a show shutting down because of COVID cases, my heart breaks because it's a specific kind of falling feeling uh, when that's happening to a company. So anytime I see that happening on Broadway or off Broadway or anywhere right now, I I feel for the company. Wow. I recently heard, and no spoilers, but I heard a brief tease about swept away and something twisty about it. And I have to say, Johnny, I was in shock. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm so curious to see it. Yeah, I better get to New York. Oh my gosh. I, you know, can we, like, who, who can we go uh, petition right now for the transfer? I mean, I'm waiting to hear things, obviously. I, mm-hmm. I know that the, the smarter people uh, are having conversations behind closed doors about, you know, the future of the show, but uh, uh, you heard it here. First, folks, I, I don't want to be too um, 
I don't want to speak out of school, but I, I, it's, I think it's one of the best, and I'm not talking about my work uh, that that's not for me to comment on. That's for, you know, the audience and, and, and other people to decide. Connor and I um, will. Connor and you I can just, yes, you can, you, when you see the show, you can weigh in, but as a piece of work, I think it's one of the most spectacular and interesting things I've ever been a part of on stage uh, in, in my years. Um, so I, I dream of it coming to New York so that the East coast audiences can get a shot at seeing it. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love how did audiences respond to it out West? Great. And you know, you, you have definitely touched on something. I think anybody who reads, you know, the kind of quick synopsis of the show will think, huh, I don't know. Uh, four guys shipwrecked trapped on a lifeboat for most of a show. Is that going to be interesting? And turning to some dark survival impulses perhaps by the end of the show and losing their minds a bit doesn't necessarily sound like a, uh, the hot ticket uh, item of the summer, <laughs> you know, we were nervous a little bit about, I, I, I was thinking the whole time, you know, we were supposed to premiere the show in the summer of 2020 at the Berkeley right. rep. And, you know, we got shut down, of course, because one of the last things that I did right before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you know, uh, shut everything down around the globe was, was take some of our first press pictures for Swept Away. We got in a van and we went up to the Mystic Seaport in Mystic, Connecticut, which is one of the oldest whaling ports in the U.S. And they have a, they actually have a museum where you can go on one of the old whaling ships. And we took some pictures there. And I remember we were there and we were, I was with Stark and the cast and, and we were kind of like, do you guys think this pen, this, this, uh, this, this virus thing? Like I'm hearing like the word pandemic getting mentioned a lot in the newspapers. And do you think we're going to be okay this summer? And of course, a few weeks later, the writing was on the wall. So we had to wait, you know, a year and change to mount the show. And given that the show is intense and the, the, the second half of the show, I will say gets very harrowing and very dramatic and very intense and at times outright disturbing while never really losing the, the kind of, you know, through thread of hope and redemption, which really is at the heart of the show. But I was scared because I thought, gosh, is anyone going to be ready to be challenged right now? Like, I feel like maybe people might just want a nice song and dance review or something that's a little simple or something that they can, you know, check out to and not have to think about their own, you know, survival and our own, you know, humanity and mortality. And lo and behold, the audiences were so game. I mean, they came into it just completely ready to throw down. And, uh, you know, it's a 95 minute piece. It's straight through, no intermission. So you really are, it's, it's definitely like, uh, a run and gun type of experience. And, um, you know, we had a couple, there's a few moments in the show where I, you know, and I'm on stage the whole time I'm on stage for two hours. It's no break in this show. Wow. So, and we were in a thrust stage. So you're right up in front of the audience. And yeah, yeah I saw some people walking out every night. I mean, yeah. maybe they had, maybe they had dinner reservations or maybe they were <laughs> maybe a little too challenged by the show, but um, you know, I, I know that this isn't saying anything that unique this day and age because we all know that the standing ovation is is just kind of a, a it, it almost everything gets the standing ovation now it's kind of become the norm if you're at a show where it doesn't happen something must have really gone wrong <laughs> but uh, I will say that I don't know in my you know uh, 16 17 actually no it's actually oh my god no I'm da- dating myself here 20 20 odd years of doing theater I don't know that I've ever seen an audience jump to their feet as quickly as they did at the curtain call for swept away and I think it just speaks to 
the emotionality of the show. It's an intense ride. And I think by the end of it, people were just ready to exhale and, you know, stand up with us and, and give us a nice round. So that was, you know, joyous and so cathartic, especially after, you know, not being able to take to the stage uh, for some time. That gives me chills. I, I really, really hope we can see it. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that I'm, by talking it up, you know, someone's going to listen to this podcast mm-hmm. and say, you know what? I wasn't going to let Swept Away open at my theater, but now <laughs> I've changed my mind based on John's description. I know, I'm trying to think what theater would be good for it then if, if, it's, if it was a thrust situation. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder. I think we all fantasize about like, you know, Circle in the Square because they have such a great, you know, you can make that space kind of anything mm-hmm. you know they've they've done so much they've transformed it so beautifully but uh but i'd also you know be open to um you know i've seen some amazing things at saint anne's or bam yeah. you know uh, something uh-huh. slightly more off the broadway beaten path you know I, I would be happy finding a home there too i mean basically i'll do it on a street corner right. if they ask me to <laughs> uh, at this point it's just the greatest role i think i've ever been handed so uh wow. oh my god and that's really saying something too because you have played so many incredible characters over the years i've been so so lucky yeah so lucky especially with michael you know michael mayer i mean i refer to it a little bit as the uh <laughs> we were out in berkeley and we were working on swept away i told him i was like you know i kind of refer to the three shows we've done together as the trilogy of torture um <laughs> not because you're torturing me per se but you know he's just you know, handed me the reins on on three of the most tortured men, mm-hmm. you know, that I think I've ever played or seen on stage between Moritz and Johnny, Moritz and Spring Awakening, Johnny and, you know, uh, in American Idiot and now the mate in, in Swept Away. They're just such dicey, intense roles and they really go, you know, through hell yeah. for, from start to finish of the show, which is, you know, it has its challenges, but it's also such a gift because, you know, I think as actors, we all we all want to stretch out. And, and, you know, when I first read swept away, I thought I can't do this. Wow. I, I, I read the, I just thought they got the wrong guy. You know, they got the wrong guy for the gig. If they think that I'm going to be capable of doing this every night. And lo and behold, I connected to the material once we started rehearsing it and uh, there was just nothing to do, but throw myself into it, you know, head over heels. That's so interesting to hear. Just impressive that you've got such a great head of hair still after all these years of playing. These, <laughs> I feel like playing these harrowing characters would drive me crazy well especially with the hairspray that i had to apply in spring awakening every night to get it to stand on end it's a wonder that i didn't lose all of it because it was so mangled and knotted and you know full of uh aquanet by the end of the run that i uh, it's amazing that i have any left (laughs) i've got to say the cast of spring awakening looks better than ever everyone looks absolutely incredible in those pictures that i've seen we've yet to see the documentary but i can't believe you weren't invited that that's an outrage to me there were plenty of someone's getting fired Someone's getting fired. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. It's all good. I'm gonna I'm gonna cause a storm. <laughs> no, oh my gosh. It's all good. This is this is the best thing that could have happened is us just chatting with you. Well, it's interesting for you to, for me to hear you say, you know, you were presented with this role of the mate and swept away. And I'm thinking about, you know, how old were you when you won the Tony for Spring Awakening? I I was just about a, a week shy of turning twenty-three. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was right before my 23rd birthday, so I was 22 at the time. Oh, yes, because you're a Gemini, so June, June of 2007. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. June, okay. June 17th, yeah, it was right before. And wow. Tony's okay. June 10th, so it was right before. 
Well, I guess my my thought goes into a bigger question, which of course will open up a larger conversation about Spring Awakening and your sure. career. But I'm thinking about, you know, at 22, almost 23, winning a Tony Award for this critically lauded and now, you know, iconic piece of theater that has lived on and continues to live on. And I mean, here we are today talking about it with this new documentary. But when you won the Tony... I know we're jumping very far ahead in the Spring Awakening story, but did you think to yourself, this is amazing. I'm amazing. Things are going to be great for me. I have a career. This is going to really help my career. Or what was going through your head? You know, it's funny because Spring Awakening had such humble beginnings. You know, when I was 20 years old, I did the first, we did a concert, just a one night only kind of concert version. And that was when I got cast as Moritz. And then, you know, uh, much much to my surprise and lucky for me, I, I was asked to join the company again when we went to the Atlantic in 2006 and opened off Broadway. So I'd been playing the role for quite some time by the time we made it to Broadway. And I was aware that it was a big deal. I was aware that the show was, you know, touching people and that, you know, the audiences were getting bigger each night. And, you know, people started reaching out to me being like, hey, can you get me tickets? And that's always a sign that, you know, your, your show is going well when people are asking me. Uh, you know, for assistance, <laughs> but I didn't want to get ahead of myself, of course. And, you know, when you're doing a show, it really is one night at a time, one show at a time. But, you know, people kept coming up to me being like, oh man, you know, you're a shoe in. I mean, this role is built for awards. It's so dynamic and it's kind of a scene stealer supporting role, you know? And I just kind of was like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. it that, that That's none of my business. Like, yes, that'll all be good if, and when we get there, but you know, it's January, June is a long way away. I, uh, I just want to do the show and feel good about my work. And then I think it was like right before the awards, uh, you know, and it was one of those things where I didn't win any of the previous, you know, yeah. awards. So that kind of started messing with my head a little bit where I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Don't, don't, don't people that win usually win something first, you know, who was winning them that season? Cause that was oh. a big season. They did. A, they did a strange thing for the drama desks. Um, they didn't put me in featured for some reason. Oh. I remember that Jonathan Groff and I were both up for lead actors And I want to say, I could be completely wrong about this, but I want to say maybe Raul Esparza won for that company revival. Yeah. Won the drama desk. And so I was in the wrong category because I think Moritz is entirely a a supporting role uh, because he's gone by, you know, halfway through Act 2. Spoiler alert. Right, uh, right. uh, (laughs) He goes away. Uh, Yes, that's a good way to put it. Well, I think maybe uh, I I have a chance, but I don't know. This is my first time this is my first rodeo here with all these awards so I don't know how things go and I didn't have a publicist or anything I was very much kind of winging it but I remember right before the Tonys I was in Kimberly Grigsby's dressing room our music director and 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 uh, band leader in Spring Awakening and I think Steven Spinella who played all the adult male roles in the Mm -hmm. original cast and played my my character's teacher and my character's dad you know, he kind of came in and he was like, hey, you know, the New York Times critics poll did their whole thing. And you're like the odds, you know, if you're a gambling man, like people should put their money on you because everyone has you, you know, uh, as the winner. So I I went into it like very much aware that it could it could go my way. But like, I'm so superstitious that I just I didn't want to think about it and I didn't want to jinx it. And it really wasn't until they called my name that it, it kind of sunk in and hit me that it was like, oh, wow, I I, I can't believe that I started playing this role almost three years ago. And now here I am on stage at, you know, Radio City collecting 
collecting my uh, award. You know, it's it's funny. I've I've had a lot of time to think about the Tony Award and what it meant to me. And the funny thing is, and I I say this now. I mean, there were a few years where I think if you'd caught me on a bad day, I would have been angry about this. But like, it didn't do much for me instantly, other than the incredible honor of, of knowing that you know, I, I, regardless of what happens in the rest of my life, I I can call myself. The Tony Award winner, which is huge and massive, you know. What about a salary increase? You know, there you was won? a bump. That there was a bump. I'm gonna, I take it back. There was an increase. But, no, but anyway, otherwise. Yeah, but at the time, you know, and this is it's funny how much the the entertainment industry has changed in the last 15 years because there was no streaming. You know, it was still basically like you had your basic cable TV shows and your network shows. And it wasn't like, oh, John, the TV people are here for you now that you've won a Tony. They want to set you up with your pilot. Like, you know, that certainly wasn't happening. It wasn't like the offers came pouring in. In fact, you know, I, I left Spring Awakening with with no work lined up and, and had no idea what I was going to do. And then I got asked to audition for a, a play at the Atlantic and I ended up going back to the Atlantic back. So I, I went backwards in a way. Uh, <laughs> if you're, I don't see it that I didn't see it that way at the time. I just thought, Oh, I got to do this really amazing Connor McPherson play, uh, oh, wow. um, which was totally, I, I wanted something scary. Like I, I had played Moritz for three years and, you know, I didn't want something easy. I wanted something scary and weird and challenging. And I stumbled into this really intense play that's all monologues uh this really great Connor mcpherson play called port authority oh, mm. and so you know i think some folks were like oh oh johnny like went yeah he didn't really get like a, the big kind of uh, gilded ring coming out of uh out of spring awakening but you know at the time i wasn't viewing it that way and then the funny thing is that the whole the whole entire reason that i ended up doing american idiot was because of spring awakening was because i hit it off with Michael Mayer and Billy Joe Armstrong, the lead singer of Green Day came to see Spring Awakening and he was really touched by it and thought it was really cool. And, and then Michael pitched him the idea of doing American Idiot as a Broadway musical. And then they asked me to star in it. And, uh, you know, it was almost like, wow. you know, Spring Awakening was one, you know, three-year audition for American Idiot. You became offer only after, after your time. Yeah, yeah, right. I wish, uh, I wish I could say that, but just for that show. But. That's honestly really humbling to hear though, as well, that it's not like, you know, you reach that pinnacle moment and then it's just shooting for the stars. Like you have to continue to work and, audition and you have to work yeah it's life-changing and yet it's not sure that's kind of the way i've always talked about it is that it it, 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 there is a before and after Mm -hmm. you know because it's it's a a legendary you know prestige gift to, to to be given that that kind of recognition um so i don't you know by any means take it lightly but then you know when the kind of you know, joyous haze had settled afterwards. It was like, wow, wow, shoot, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to have to go back into some rooms and audition and, you know, get get work again and see where that takes me. And you were one of the first cast members to depart the show, right? I think Johnny B. Wright might have left. And then... I was, yeah. Yeah, I think Johnny left. And, and I remember our very first cast member to leave okay. was Gideon because it was so... Gideon Glick left in August of 2007. And it was, I just remember we were sobbing. Like that was when it really hit us that this thing, like we were going to have to cycle through all these goodbyes, you know, that, that this incredibly overwhelming life, life altering experience was going to have to come to an end as all things do. But yeah, I was the first of the, of the leads, you know, Jonathan and, and Leah, they stayed on for another 
another like four or five months, mm-hmm. I think, after I left. But I was one of the first to go. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you look back on those years, you know, you, y'all were the toast of the town. Everybody was in love with you. All. I mean, the lines out the theater and everything. What do you remember most? I mean, I remember Connor and I were obsessed with this backstage video of, I think it was Jonathan hosted it, of Broadway World or Broadway.com, like showing everyone all the dressing rooms and everything. Oh, yeah. and I just remember thinking of it as this, like this moment in time of just like, you all were like this bunch of kids basically having this crazy moment. In the Gap. Remember the Gap yeah, campaign? I mean, oh my God, the Gap ad. Yes. The Gap ad was was traumatic to shoot because <laughs> I got stranded. I remember I got stranded in one of the dressing rooms. They took the sweater is away from us. You know, we were wearing these, like these plush kind of this, it was a winter Mm -hmm. campaign. So we were in these bright kind of colored uh, sweatshirts and they came and took them away from us at the end of the shoot. We weren't allowed to keep them. And so the gap people had to come in and collect them. And I was in this dressing room down the hallway and they took the shirt away. But then I remembered that my own shirt was down a long hallway in a different dressing room and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to walk down the hallway of this building with no shirt. And I'm, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not like it's a fun thing to look at. Uh, this so scrawny, pale, pasty 22 year old me. But I was like, well, I've got to go get my shirt. And I walked down the hall and I walked into the other dressing room and Amy Adams was standing there because she was about to do one of her own shoots. And so she just sees this like, you know, pale, pasty, scrawny kid with no shirt on walk into the dressing room. And uh, I was humiliated <laughs> and I grabbed my shirt and ran for the hills. But uh, that, but but I digress. Uh, that's just a little tea for you there. I've got all this countless. There's more where that came from. But um, no, it was insane, you know, and I think because we had such humble beginnings, like I said, you know, we took it in stride. You know, I think with the exception of like, I mean, Leah right. Michelle had been playing that role for like six years in workshops. She'd started playing Vendela when she was like 14. And I think she was 18 or 19 by the time we got to Broadway. And so, you know, she was like, so pro and we all looked to her like, oh man, she is a total, like totally belongs on Broadway, like totally knows what she's doing. But we were all kind of finding our footing. And I had done one, I, it was my second Broadway show. I had done Rabbit Hole right before that. In fact, I did my last show of Rabbit Hole in April of 2006. And the very next day was my first rehearsal for the off-Broadway run of Spring Awakening. But uh, I I think because, and this is a testament to Michael Mayer and to Tom Hulse, our producer, and to Jim Carnahan, our, our casting director, that, you know, they really went out of their way to find kids that, you know, weren't jaded, hadn't spent too much time on stage. We weren't like show kids. There was something real about what we were bringing to the table. And there was something real to the way that we were trying to take it all in stride and not let it go to our heads that that we were, yeah. you know, the hot thing that year. You know, I mean, we we certainly enjoyed it, but it, it something about how overwhelming all of the attention was, I think it made us get really yeah. close because we had to cling to each other because no one else understood, you know, how strange it was to suddenly be thrust from a 200 seat theater where, you know, nobody was waiting for you at the stage door to suddenly find yourself up on 49th street coming out of the Eugene O'Neill with, you know, hundred, 200, some kids lined up around right. the block to talk to you. You know, it was. Yeah. And a lot of them were like repeat offenders. They would come back and over and over again, they'd sit oh, on yeah, stage absolutely. and all of that. We didn't get to see it until after Kyle Riabko, Alex Socha, and Blake Bashoff were in the leads. Oh, that yeah. It was like a month after Leah and Jonathan left. But even still then, it was 
crazy. It was absolute insanity. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm curious to know how much the cast, how you all felt, because this was sort of one of those first shows where social media was really becoming popular, like forums aside, like Twitter, I think came out around the same time. And how much was the cast, you know, hearing or seeing things like on online about them and the way that the fans were reacting? Well, it's so funny is I feel like our run of the show, like the, the run that I was in, I feel like we missed a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember specifically like when I think of like I had a flip phone the whole time I was in Spring Awakening you know and so I I wasn't scrolling you know backstage or anything I remember at the time the the big thing and I know and I know it still is a big thing now I'm not trying to say that it it has lost any of its potency but like you know the all that chat and the Uh message boards like that was the big thing back then um, that was kind of like where people went. And then, you know, I think MySpace was the only yeah. thing that we all we all were using MySpace. But I think Facebook at the time was still regulated to colleges. Okay. So I wasn't I we I, none of us were on it until a couple of years later when they opened it up to 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 a much more mainstream thing. Yes. I remember actually discovering the show on MySpace. Really? That's how I found oh, it. that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I remember my first the first iPhone I ever saw. I want to say, I think they both got him around the same time. I think it was Matt Doyle. Like, I remember Matt Doyle being backstage (laughs) and being like, whoa, can I look at your phone? And I was like, this thing is so cool. I guess I'm going to have to get one. And and I think Gideon got one. He's still obsessed with like the Apple releases. Oh, really? Oh, that, that, I mean, he was, he had his his finger (laughs) on the pulse. He was the first one I ever saw. These aren't the stories people are going to hear in the doc. They're not going to hear about, you know, discovering the Phone I want something special for your listeners. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the topic of the of the documentary, what has it been like to reunite with with everyone? What is it like? Fifteen years later. Fifteen years later. Yeah, it was November fifteenth. Our first preview, I believe, was on the fifteenth in two thousand and six, right before we opened on Broadway. And so, I mean, it kind of was a pipe dream. I remember about a year ago, I was in North Carolina shooting a film, and you know, I got a text from There's a Spring Awakening text chain that we're all on. And yes, I have heard about this. Yeah. This is quite quite legendary. In fact, but, it's but actually it's it's going um, it's going off right now. I can see. Oh some, yeah, some people because like, everyone's <laughs> excited about this. Who is the most active? <laughs> Who is the most that? active? You know, I feel like I feel like it might be it might be Lauren. Like Lauren Pritchard's really active on it. Brian Charles Johnson's really active on it because he's hilarious. Oh, okay. I mean, he's arguably the, the comedian of the company. Like he's so quick witted and so funny. <laughs> he's always like, you know, he's always there with some joke that we all wish. Some meme. Had. Is yeah, he sending the memes? There's memes. There's definitely some meme uh, going around. But uh, the, I remember the text chain came to life and they were like, hey guys, can w- would everybody want to hop on a Zoom to talk about the potential of maybe a reunion show? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we all got on a Zoom and hadn't seen each other in a really long time. And then there we all were. And uh, I was like, is this going to work? You know, and it was, it was pre-vaccine, you know, the, the, the vaccines hadn't been rolled out yet. And so everything was very uncertain. And I just thought, and, and there was talk about doing it virtually, like maybe we'll just film it. And then as we started discussing it more and more, and it really was Lauren Pritchard and John Groff, they were the people that really spearheaded this and, uh, and made it happen. It became evident within a, just a handful of months that we were going to actually be able to do it one night only at the Imperial Theater. And we were going to be able to have an audience and it was going to be this, you know, fundraiser to benefit the Actors Fund. And, and it came together so quick and everybody just jumped on board and said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, it's, it's a real gift to, to get to come back into, you know, what was wildly informative and, and massive, this huge moment in our lives 15 years ago, and revisit it, not just the material, which has been, you know, amazing to get a chance to sink our teeth into again, but just our connections and our, our personal, you know, journeys and being able to come back together as adults, mm-hmm. you know, and hang out with each other again. It was really amazing. And also, you know, just while we're on the subject, I remember like one thing that I'll always credit it with is that when I got cast and swept away, as I said, I, w- I was thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I might have to turn it down. I just, the material's really heavy. And to be honest with you, I, I started getting like late in life stage fright. I mm. never had stage fright when I was younger, when I was doing Spring Awakening, I was the best part of my day was eight o'clock, you know, when the lights went down and we walked out on stage. I mean, I, I woke up looking forward to it. And as I've gotten older and, you know, life has changed, there are days where I wake up in a cold sweat, you know, thinking, oh my God, I have to go do Long Day's Journey tonight, tonight, and, oh. <laughs> uh, four hours, and um, I'm going to have a panic attack in my dressing room and barely make it out on stage. And um, I was in really uh, in the thick of that in the last couple of years, in the throes mm-hmm. of it, to the point where I was going to quit theater. I just thought, oh, man, you know, I'm going to tell my agents, I just can't do theater anymore. It's too hard. It takes too much of a toll. I don't have the confidence that I had as a young man and I'm going to have to hang it up. And, uh, and I felt pretty darn sure of that. And then, especially with musicals, because I hadn't done one in the decade since American Idiot. And, and they just are more work. They just are. It's much more work than a straight play because, you know, the things that you can get away with in a play, you can't always get away with in a musical because you really have to protect your voice. You have to protect the instrument. You have to get enough rest. You can't spread yourself too thin or you just won't make it through the eight shows. Uh, and I learned that the hard way in both Spring Awakening and American Idiot. So I, I promise this is going somewhere. No, uh, but what, what happened was... <laughs> You know, walking out on stage again and getting to play, you know, what is, like you said in, in your beautiful introduction, like, you know, the, the role that I think I'm the most known for and the, the one that I think matters the most to so many theater goers was Moritz. And it was so encouraging to get to walk out on stage and get a nice round of applause and then, you know, go for it and play that role and sing those songs and to make it through the show and be like, Oh, right. I forgot. I do really like doing this. You know, I do like going out there and and doing this. And I feel like it totally helped me get over a little bit of that stage fright. And it really, because a couple of weeks later, I started rehearsals for Swept Away. And I Mm -hmm. felt like without that night at the Imperial, this is making it a little bit more about me than, than Spring Awakening, but without that night with my cast again, going out there with that amazing audience, knowing we were doing something good for the Actors Fund, knowing we were revisiting this material, it was massive. It helped me so much get psyched about going out on stage again. And I don't know that I would have been so game and ready for Swept Away had I not had that amazing gift of being able to do Spring Awakening again. Wow. It, you know, what you're saying, it sounds like you had a late in life ring of keys moment, what we call on the podcast, you know, borrowing from fun home that, you know, that moment of revitalization at this point, but maybe realizing, like, like you said, I do love this. I love right. doing this. Yeah. I guess on that topic, do you, do you feel like you had one of those moments earlier on in your life or career where you were like, Oh my gosh, 
I love the arts or I love singing. I need this in my life. You feel it? I do. I think, you know, I think, I really think it was the very first time that I ever performed on stage. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware in a, in a small suburb, in a small state. In fact, the second smallest state in the union, second only to Rhode Island who beat us a little bit uh, in the smallness. But um, uh, there was a theater called the Wilmington Drama League. It's still there. Uh, I still try to go and, and hang out with the people that that are doing work there whenever I'm home. And I was 12 years old and my both of my siblings and my mother had done a few shows there. And I would see them and think, God, that looks like fun, you know, getting up on stage. And I was like a weird, this must be the Gemini thing too. I was like an introverted ham. Like I, I loved kind of attention, but then I also wouldn't want any of it for a while. And so, (laughs) and I'm still that way, but I tried out for a production. Uh, They were doing a production there of, of Frankenstein of the, of Mary Shelley's, you know, Frankenstein being an adaptation that was really loyal to the book. And I was I got cast as the the young, uh, I think it's the nephew or the son of Victor Frankenstein, who in the original novel meets a very gruesome demise at the hands of, you know, Dr. Frankenstein's creation. And so I have this death scene on stage when I was 12 years old and this guy Raymond Harrington played the creature and he was amazing and I thought he was so cool and he was this big guy and we choreographed this death scene where he strangled me to death and kind of broke my neck and he was able to kind of pick me up by my jacket, but it really looked like he was strangling me and it was visceral and intense and talk about walkouts. I remember somebody walked out because we were this little community theater (laughs) and suddenly it was like, they're killing a kid on stage. And I remember somebody running up the aisle one night, but I remember after the death scene, you know, when you're doing something that and you can feel that it worked when you're like, oh, my gosh, the desired effect was completely achieved. Like we terrified people. We got them to believe in that moment that this, you know, preteen child was massacred on stage. I remember walking off into the wings after the first show. And it's a little bit like when you're a kid and you go to a carnival or an amusement park or something and maybe you go on some awesome slide or some ride and it ends. And then you realize, Oh my God, I can just get back in line (laughs) and do it again. Like I remember thinking, wow, we get to, I get to do that again tomorrow night and that realization. And it's one of the things that I still love about theater for all of the wear and tear of doing a long run, like the chance to, to keep refining and trying things and the chance to, have the desired effect get achieved every night for an audience is something that still thrills me. And I had it in swept away every night as we got to the end of the show and there's some intense plot twists and big reveals on stage. It's, you feel a bit like a magician, you know, like you, you, you wield the power of storytelling and it's a total drug, you know, it's a, it's an absolute high. And I remember feeling that too. I mean, I think they probably call it the bug, you know, the act, the bug, bug whatever yes. you want to call it, <laughs> but I felt that I felt the bite, you know, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I want to chase this feeling. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. You're talking about being in Frankenstein and Spring Awakening swept away, American Idiot. You, every project you're in seems to have such such darkness in it even like hush and um oh yeah but you know what i loved that was a nice surprise to see you in was your episode of modern love oh thanks which was so sweet 
And it was sweet. Oh, I loved it. You were great. Thank you. Thanks. That was really fun to film because it almost felt a little bit like theater. You know, it was just me and Sofia Butella, uh, you know, and uh, these long scenes. And it was based on it. I mean, what's amazing about that show to me, too, is that, you know, they're, they're based on these columns, these guest columns from the New York Times, but they're all true stories. Mm-hmm. So that really befell some young man was on his like second date with the girl of his dreams. And he, you know, fell off the couch and cut his arm open on a martini glass. And she, <laughs> she had to take him to the, to the ER. And they had this kind of really quick, you know, they had to get really intimate with each other really, really quick and really fast. And so that was really fun to shoot because we had these long scenes together and it almost felt like we were doing a two-hander play or something. Yeah, that was great. I mean, and then I feel like I have to ask you about Short Term 12, which was like such a surprise piece for everyone, you know? Like no one really knew what it was going in and then what a gag. Yeah, I mean, it's it's launched. Well, it's not like it launched. Like these, these people were obviously already working, but, you know, when you look at like Brie Larson and Keith Stanfield and Rami Malek and Stephanie Beatriz, like, you know, Caitlin Deaver, there, there were these young performers in that show. I mean, there's two, two Oscar winners now between Rami and Brie and Keith's been nominated and it was Mm -hmm. Keith Stanfield's first thing. You know, I mean, he was 20 years old and it was his first role when we did that film together. So it was one of those moments in time, I feel like a little bit like Spring Awakening where Mm -hmm. this young cast came together. And I've often also thought it would make a great musical. Like you could do it like a Spring Awakening type of musical Mm -hmm. if you had these kids, you know, that were able to, you know, because it takes place in this foster care facility and it's about the kind of hidden wishes of of these wounded youth, you know. But it's one of the best times I've ever had making a movie was wow. making that one because it was just a real labor of love and we shot it really fast I think we shot it in like 21 22 days and uh wow. for a modest budget we all just kind of threw ourselves into it and uh it was a joy I, I, I I'm very proud of that one what was the experience like doing Westworld it was a trip because I was coming into it in its third season so right they had been doing it for a while and it was a very well-oiled machine and it's also very secretive. They're very secretive. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit like the Marvel movies over there. Like, you know, I remember they were like, Hey, Jonathan, my agents were like, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, I want to talk to you about doing like a couple episodes of this new season of Westworld. And I was like, okay, great. Well, can, can they send me the script or the thing? And they were like, mm, they're not going to be able to, like, they, they don't allow it. Like no one, can, no one can read them. They're just going to zoom with you and they're going to kind of pitch you the role. And so they did, they kind of explained the whole role and the character arc and everything. And um, I ended up saying yes, because I just thought, man, there's so many people on this show that I admire, you know, Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris. I mean, some of my acting heroes and, yeah. and the scope of it is so exciting. What they pull off for an episodic series is so cinematic and you know you feel like you're watching a short movie every night oh 100 the quality of the cinematography the effects everything yeah it's top notch and so you know i thought well that 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 might be cool to be on a set like that for a little while and uh and it was you know i got to work with evan rachel wood and aaron paul and uh (laughs) you know tommy flanagan some really fantastic actors it was a that was a cool couple months it was like i and then i I got to dip in and out too, because I was, you know, I live in New York and they shoot it in LA. So I would fly out for like three, four weeks of filming. Then I'd come home. And then a couple months later, the phone would ring and they'd be like, Hey, they're ready for you again. And I'd get back (laughs) on the plane and go back out and film some more. And then I'd come home. So it was fun. 
Oh, I love it. You've done so many things. I feel like I've, I've heard you talk about the newsroom and, and, um, Jerusalem and long days journey into night before yeah. and other projects. And I feel like I wish we had so much more time with you, but yeah. before we say goodbye, we do like yeah. to end with a dose of drama, something to leave our listeners with. It could be, you know, something you want to recommend, rant about, rave about, just share with, with everyone. And, um, Dylan, do you want to kick it off today? With a little dose of drama? I do. My dose of drama, of course, has to do with you, Johnny. It's <laughs> it's this incredible album that you released a couple of years ago that I think that it is just such a vibe. And it's there's a little something for everybody on there. But it's one of the songs in particular, Sarasota Someone, that I am obsessed with. Wow. I think that everyone needs to go stream this. You are such a great songwriter, Johnny. Thank you so much. That honestly means the world to me. That really does. I, I, the, my, my songwriting is something that's, it's actually, I would say probably more personal than the work that I do as an actor. Cause it, okay, it yeah. comes completely from me. No filter, uh, no editor, no, no, no revision, no revisionist other than me. And so it, 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 my heart, all of my heart is in all of my songs. And so when, when it means something uh-huh. to someone, it means the world to me. So I really appreciate that. It's weird the way that it is a very specific song. I mean, I think it is, but it made me feel like home for me. Like I was like, oh, like I feel like I'm driving around my hometown or like, you know, the the windows down and it's nighttime. I don't know. It's really oh, interesting. That's really great. That's the goal. You know, I think that's what I, you know, I want uh, the whole reason that I write music or get on stage is to, you know, is for to feel less alone myself. And then, and then maybe mm-hmm. by virtue of creating, help someone else feel less alone. You know, that, that That's really the, the nuts and bolts of it for me. Mission accomplished. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, love it. <laughs> Connor, would you have a dose of drama for us? I do. I wish I would have started because it has nothing to do with like complimenting Johnny, but I would, you know, <laughs> we've done living, a lot of that. We've done, we've a, lot done of that. a lot of that. I mean, he's amazing, but I want to, I want to complain for a second. I'm feeling dramatic because yeah, New York can be so, you know, it's such an expensive city. Everyone knows, it's, you know, it costs you a hundred dollars to, you know, buy a bottle of water at the theater. It's really crazy, but I'm feeling dramatic about when you go to look up a restaurant and you find it and you're like, Oh, the prices look, look great. Like all these pizzas, it's like pretty well priced, but then you get there and you realize it costs like eight to $10 to add any kind of like pepperoni or any kind of protein to these pizzas or to, to a salad. It really you are taking out like a small business loan to dine out in this city at any time. And just to add a little bit extra to your meal and it's drama. I've had enough. I've had enough. It's so it's, And it adds up. Then when you're looking at the statements at the end of the month, you're mm-hmm. like, what, how did I spend that much on <laughs> that? On, yeah. On it's crazy. Food? You know, it, it, that's, that's definitely one of those men uh, in, in terms of the prices you pay for living in this city. I mean, that's a massive one. It's wild. Do, do you, do you live here? I do. Yeah. I've been in New York. So I moved to New York in 2002. So I've been here for 20 years. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. The 20 year anniversary. Not a bad distance yeah. if you ever want to go home to Delaware. Yeah, no, I, I exactly. It's, you know, I'm, I'm going to go home for the Mother's Day weekend nice. to see my folks, which I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I've been, I've been here for a while. You know, I, I, I might have to move, you know, that's, that's kind of my drama right yeah, now. Yeah, what's your drama? I, my <laughs> lease, my lease is up at my place and I've, I've been here for about six years and I, I can't help but, you know, be feeling uh, lately that it might be time to uh, to branch out and go elsewhere. I don't know where or when, but I suddenly looked at the calendar the other day and was like, oh my God, my lease is up in July. What am I going to do? Oh. Um, so that's that's kind of weighing on me because and any as any New Yorker will 
tell you, moving in New York is a, is a unique kind of hell. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Moving anywhere mm-hmm. is stressful, but particularly in New York City, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's unique. You strike me as a Brooklyn kind of guy. I am in Brooklyn. I'm in. I live in Fort Greene, and I've been here for six years. and And then there was a period where I lived in kind of Cobble Hill, Borum Hill area for a few oh, cool. years. Never done the Williamsburg thing. I've never made it that over there. Never made it that far. Okay. Um, you give a Williamsburg. I vibe, guess so, I right? Say. Yeah, I guess that between the you know <laughs> doing indie films in theater and you know playing rock music, it definitely you know, uh-huh. you'd think Williamsburg is the place to be for me. But I, I love to visit. I love going over there. But I but I've never yeah. never lived there. But but yeah, I, I guess that's the, I've lived. You know, I lived in the East Village, the West Village. I lived in Cobble Hill. I lived in you know Fort Greene. I lived uptown. I lived downtown. I lived in Queens. I lived in two parts wow. of Astoria. I've lived all over the city. So the question I'm suddenly kind of asking myself is, well, where, where to next? I don't know. I guess only time will tell. Wow, that that is drama. Yeah. I have to say, everyone in New York <laughs> is always talking about like if their rent's going up or looking at apartments or finding roommates or living alone or oh, and it and it and it always is. Uh-huh. Yeah, the rent is always going up. You know, every year for me. I, well, I'm glad you're staying in New York because there's yes, definitely things on yeah. the horizon for you and. We will be keenly tuned in to whatever it is. Johnny, this has been such a treat for us. If you can't tell, oh my we are true guilty ones. And you have been such a key part of our, oh you've been goodness. a ring of keys on for us, you know, back in our days. So thank you You're for so your time welcome. today. Everyone should, of course, follow you to keep up with, you know, the music, <laughs> the work, the, the apartment search. You're <laughs> at John Gallagher Jr. on Twitter and on Instagram. You're at John Gallagher Jr., but Jr. is spelled out. Yes, J-U-N-I-O-R, because somebody had already put my name up there with the oh. J-R. So. Of course. Of course. I, they beat me to it. You know, I, I, <laughs> I was snoozing and I lost. Well, know? thank you so much for joining us. Like Dylan said, this has been a pleasure. You're so welcome. Likewise. It's really been great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And everyone should tune in to Spring Awakening Those You've Known, which is now yes, available on it HBO Max. And of course, follow me at Dylan McDowell, Connor at Connor McDowell, the podcast at the Drama Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama! Drama.